Hey everyone, this is Patrick with the 307 RPG Podcast, and I just want to take a moment and say thank you to all of our amazing patrons. It's because of you that we're able to do the things that we do. If you like our show and you want to support us, you can find us on patreon.com slash theforgeherald. Thanks everyone, I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everybody and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. Nolan, I haven't seen you for a few days. How are you? What's new? What's exciting? Nothing new, nothing exciting. Just hanging out at home. Yeah, I suppose that's true. So for those of you who don't know, I tested positive for COVID-19. And because of our close proximity at work, Nolan had to quarantine. Um, Thankfully, though, you got good news today. Yeah, I did get a negative test result, so... Doesn't change anything. Still home for 14 days. So it's it's interesting. I don't know. At this point, you just don't know. Is it better if I would have had a positive? Is it better if I would have had a negative? I guess it's good because that means nobody else has to quarantine around me. So, Yeah, I think according to the orders that I received, because of a positive test, um, as long as I'm not showing symptoms, I'll be free October 27th, which is Tuesday. Um, I'm good. I would be really stunned if I'm not showing symptoms with the way I'm feeling. Gotcha. So I might go ahead and schedule another test, uh, see about getting, you know, find out if I'm still positive or not. Uh, it could just be that it's, you know, the remaining effects of it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've, I think I'm on lockdown till the 31st. So. Yeah, which is essentially the original order that I received until I tested positive, and then it changed. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, they, I think they gave me the last day I worked with you as my uh, two weeks of instead of starting. Yeah, instead of starting it from the Monday or whatever. So that's good. That means you can go back a couple of days early. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> The thirty first is a Saturday, so I guess I would have been back on the same day anyway. So, fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail aside from the fact that this sucks. Don't get it. Wear your mask. All that fun stuff. Um, uh, I came in contact with it because I was part of the musical that Nolan and I've been talking about that Nolan talked about last week. Um, we were using masks until up until uh, dress rehearsal, and that's when we took the masks off. And oh look, that was the day we were all exposed. shut down the show and send all of us home (laughs) so but that's something completely different has nothing to do with this show so let's get on to this show as you guys have no uh, no, wow all right as everybody knows this month we've been kind of looking at our favorite spells we've done uh divine our cleric spells we've done druid spells we've done wizards and sorcerer spells and since we're getting close to halloween and this will be our last show of october we are going to be looking at necromancy spells and warlock invocations. Um, why not look at the dark arts? So it should be exciting, and we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But before we do, let's dive into some Dungeons & Dragons news. Not a whole lot of new stuff for Dungeons & Dragons from this week. Uh, I didn't see any new products released. Did you, Nolan? I did not. Yeah. What instead, though, is... Um, we did have released this week Curse of Strahd revamped. Now, Nolan and I have talked quite a bit about this product. Uh, this is uh, Curse of Strahd, where they've changed how they handle the Vistani. They've removed a lot of the racist aspects of it. And they've created this whole new Curse of Strahd revamped in that it is, comes in a box that is shaped like a coffin. Now, 
we've talked about this in, in both, or I had said, I don't want to buy this because I already own the book and I just can't see spending another hundred dollars. Well, the Nolan surprises me as he has purchased this book and or purchased this set and dropped it off for me to look at. I got to tell you guys, holy shit. I was, you know, just from the spot of I, uh, I had it pre-ordered. I was hoping nobody else was going to get it for you. Uh, I know that in the grand scheme of things, it was your favorite. And it's like, okay, I'm going to get it for him. This is just set. And I'd seen the picture of it. I saw the Amazon pre-order and I was like, all right, cool. You know, it is what it is. And then I got it. I opened the box and it was so much larger than I anticipated. I don't know what yes. I was thinking in my head. Like it was just this giant freaking coffin in a box. And I was like, oh crap. Okay. Now I'm feeling instantly better about picking it up, you know, because we kind of talked about it. like, I just don't know if it's worth the money. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I saw it and I was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, he's gonna like this. So, yeah. I was so so blown away, and, and you know, at first I thought it was like, okay, you're just dropping it off for me to look at, and then you just said that you actually bought it for me. Yeah, that's not mine. Oh Jesus. my gosh! Worst Thank case scenario, you so much. Uh, if you're feeling guilty about it, I'll just trade your book, and then I'll have the book at home, and you can have the collector set. This is oh, then I'll do that. Yeah, you can absolutely have my Curse of Strahd book. Um, Absolutely. Okay, so I, I want to dive into this because you guys, this is something else. Like like Nolan said, the, your your first impression is the size. It is huge, um, and and the weight. This thing's got some heft to it. I was I was. It's got to be you know three four pounds easy, if not five. Um, so I I kind of just let it sit because I was feeling really bad. So I let it sit for a couple of days, and then I, I finally opened it up. I think it was yesterday. And the packaging is phenomenal. They, I, you could shake this box and nothing really moves. You don't hear anything rattling around, which is automatically a, huh, this must be put away pretty well. Because I've got things before where if you shake them, you can hear things rattling and it kind of dings the corners a little bit. And I like keeping my stuff in good condition. So it, it kind of bothers me when that happens. However, not the case with this one. Um, everything is nicely, tightly packed. And I'm going to be, there's, there's going to be pictures in the show notes, guys, so you can take a look at this. Because, and, I, and I want you to, because I want you to see that how wrong I was. This is absolutely worth the money. So you get the, the Chris Estrada revamp book. It is a paperback book. It is just the adventure, which is fine. Um, it, it is nicely done. It's well binded. I don't feel like it's going to fall apart. Then you have like the creature collection, the monster manual, if you will, for this adventure in a separate book, which is even better because now instead of constantly flipping to the back of the book, you can just grab it, go to the creature you want. Now, yeah, I know if you had D&D Beyond, you can get them all that way. But maybe this is one of those adventures just because of the setting. You want to limit your use of D&D Beyond. I don't know. But it is a nice, nice little book that you can just grab and have the monsters. Um, the map. Uh, typically you have the map that's in the back of the book, right? Well, this one is a little bit higher quality map, a um, little bit higher quality paper. It's already, you know, pulled out. So you don't have to worry about tearing it out of your book and risking tearing it. I think mine actually got a little bit damaged. I don't remember. Um, and I know like there for a while we didn't, when we were doing Curse of Strahd, we didn't pull the map, but eventually we did. Be, and, and it was incredibly useful, wasn't it? Yeah, it's nice to have. It It, it really is. So great job on the map. The DM screen, completely done with the Curse of Strahd revamped artistic style. Um, all sorts of useful stuff. It is a DM screen, so it's nice, useful stuff inside. But again, it's that thematic aspect that when you sit down to play this game, you have everything set up to look like Curse of Strahd. And it's going to look really good at your table. You have the Taroka cards. They're nice, big set of cards. 
which if I remember correctly, I was trying to, and I should have looked this up, but I didn't. I think if you bought the set of Taroka cards, they're about $24, $24.99 maybe. So when it was all said and done, when you purchased everything, like the the, the book, the, the the cards, things like that, you were getting pretty close to that $100 price tag. So it's a nice bundle to have them all in there. Then there's these postcards. That at first, I was like, oh, those are cute. Well, then the more I looked at them, I'm like, wait, these are for each individual location. So you could be like, all right, here's the postcard for this location. I mean, there's not a whole lot of use to the postcards, but I really found myself going, I like these postcards, especially, again, going back to that artistic aspect of it. This is this is a super well put together product that I was so apprehensive about. And I will say without a doubt, if they start doing these types of products for the other adventures, these are probably the ones that I buy versus just buying the books. Um, I know like Beatles and Grimm's puts out different collector sets with a price tag of, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars. I will not buy those. I'll buy these in a heartbeat in an absolute heartbeat because they are so well put together. And again, this really reminds me, I shouldn't say again, but this reminds me of the box set adventures that I used to buy in the late eighties and nineties. Like I've talked about myth Drenner before, or even dark sun. That's what I felt like I was getting here. And it just, it is great. It just absolutely is. Good. Um, there is, I forgot, there is a card, a large card of Strahd. So you have a nice stat sheet of Strahd. And then like all the handouts that are in the book themselves that you would normally have to go and run and print off. They're nicely printed out so you can pass them out to your players. Um, now, I, I don't know if like, especially with what's happened with us, if we're going to change how we do our D&D, if we might look at playing more digitally, um, I don't know yet. And that's something that you and I can talk about later. But still, even then, I can just shoot a picture of these and you know put them up in my whatever platform that we're using. And they're still a nice product for people to look at. So my hat's off to you, Wizards of the Coast, and a huge thank you to you, Nolan, because this is, this is an amazing product. I'm excited. And I think that's one of those things, too, if it was the right product. You know, if it had been Storm King's Thunder or something like that, I think we would have both skipped on it. But because it happens to be your favorite one, it was a nice guinea pig of like, well, worst case scenario, we got some cool Strahd stuff for another time, you know, or mediocre Strahd stuff is still okay Strahd stuff compared to some of the other stuff we've played. So right. I wasn't too worried about it. And I'm happy to see it as a guinea pig because that way, if they do a, a you know complete box set of Tiamat, or you know, so, you know, some of that stuff uh, be worth looking at. Yeah, it it really will. They've they've just done a fantastic job with this. And you know, I know like you're a big fan of buying collectors editions for like World of Warcraft and stuff. Um, that's what this feels like. It feels like we just got the collectors edition of Curse of Strahd. I do like fancy things. I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently I am too, because this one just had me, I mean, literally, I was probably grinning ear to ear the whole time. I was like, this is so cool. Nice. Good deal. Yeah. So folks, check out Curse of Strahd Revamped. It is out in the wild. I think I saw on Amazon that you can get it right now for $73.99 instead of the $100 price tag. Um, so if you want to get it at that discounted price, now is the time to do it. It is 100% worth the purchase. So thanks again, Nolan. We are going to have a lot of fun with this one. Good deal. Good deal. Which that, I think that's ultimately the 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 plan is like he gives me stuff and he's like, okay, we're going to have another group of D&D &D going, right? Another night? Yep, let's do it. 
Well, and I think we've talked about going back. That was the first one that we ever played together, what, four, five years ago now? Something like that. It's been a while. I think I think that was our first adventure in there, and I don't think, I think looking at it now with what we know and going back to it has been something that we've kind of reminisced about doing of let's go see it again, let's do it and do it right. And and it does lend itself to the ability for replayability with finding the artifacts in different locations and that kind of stuff. So I, I think we could very easily replay it and feel like we're playing a different game again. I, I agree. And, and, you know, with my connections now within the theater community, the number of people that have come up to me and said, I want to play D&D with you, how can we do it? Yeah. Um, we have the ability now to put together some pretty diverse groups and, and I think groups that would dive into this pretty freaking hard. Yeah. And I think that's one of those things too, with, uh, you know, it's always nice to play with new people, especially that aren't afraid of the RP side. Um, but also sneak somebody in like me who can be like, okay, you guys go nuts with this stuff and I'll worry about like, okay, well, Let's make sure your dice is right. Let's make sure character sheet's right. Like, I'll, you, you get your little closet bookworm to help you at your table that's not going to spoil stuff and let the new people just be blown away. It makes for a lot of fun. And I've really enjoyed that role as well in the last few games of, I like being the wizard that sits in the back that's there for the investigation checks while people are having fun decapitating goblins and that kind of stuff. Because that's, for me at this point, I enjoy watching people have fun just as much as, you know, I got that out of my system. I don't need to do 200 damage around, you know. I mean, it's fun to do, right. but it's more fun to watch people just have their first moment of coup de grace something and and being a part of that setup of getting them there. Like, well, I held the monster, finish it off, you know, and watch them just light up with, oh, they're all criticals. So, yeah, and you've done a really good job with that. I know with our, our group that we had playing on Monday nights, you you were instrumental in helping me just keep things rolling. Um, Nolan has almost encyclopedic knowledge when it comes to this stuff. I can... I, I I have, you know, a good knowledge of the rules. If I have questions, I usually kind of look at him and he's like, no, it's this. So I'm like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, or if I have doubts, I'll say, Nolan, is this right? He goes, yeah, that's right. Oh, okay, good. Um, so yeah, he's if just, you're just a huge, huge help at the table. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, you guys, DMs have enough going on. So it's nice to worry about whether your character is rolling the right thing or something like that, because you got to deal with five monsters and five players most of the time. So it's nice. Which to, can also be monsters. <laughs> yeah, usually worse than the guys that are, you know, that you're working with. So Right. Okay, so that is it for Dungeons and & Dragons. And we're going to jump to a different topic that we don't always cover, but because... We do have enough people who love this game and Nolan loves this game that I think it's important. So we're jumping over to World of Warcraft. As many of you know, Blizzard pushed back the newest expansion, Shadowlands. We mentioned that a couple weeks ago. Uh, Nolan, can you give us any new information on that? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, no, we, we don't have a release date? Nope, still no release date. Uh, still in pre-patch. They haven't even started the uh, like the pre-patch quest line yet. Uh, it's still not out, which usually takes, you know, two to three weeks you know the pre-coming legion invasion or the undead rising up you know those type of things has not started yet so i think at this point i would i would be surprised if it's not early december um so i don't i you know i was thinking maybe a month out but i think it's we're probably close to you know that december 7th kind of timeline if not the new year of just getting up to that area so 
I would be really surprised if it pushed to the new year. I, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they get it closer to early November or December, like you said. So like, especially college kids coming home on Christmas break, have a chance to play over that break. I, and I think that's some of it as well, just from a standpoint of, you know, they had this release date and I know, I know a few people would request a time off for it and missing it. Um, you know, not yeah. having that that date, and 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 so I wouldn't be surprised if some of the bigger stuff happened close to Christmas, just because people would be home, and hopefully they wouldn't have to take extra days off like they did before, because they're already home. Kind of a year where you shouldn't travel to see family, uh, right? Depending on how you feel about the situation. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of where it's at now. It's been nice because there's uh, just pre-patches fun uh i am playing an enhanced shaman right now just going through the story quest and with the revisitation so when i saw what we're about to talk about i was just like oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah i forgot i enjoyed uh (laughs) this game and i enjoy the uh oh gosh it's just so cool (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) you're doing a little foreshadowing there um Speaking of Shaman, uh, Nolan sent me yesterday through Facebook Messenger, because that's typically how we communicate, this freaking incredible statue of Thrall. Speaking of Shamans, um, I, wow, I'm just going to turn this over to you, because holy cow. We've we've seen a few of these so far. They did a Jaina, they did an Illidan, and now they've done a Thrall, and these are... Uh, I think this one's just under 24 inches, where Illidan was exactly 24 inches. Yeah, this one's 23.5. So two-foot-tall statue of Thrall. Uh, It is... Incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really well done. It's got Doomhammer. It's got the axe. Um, The description behind it says, I straddle two worlds. I was raised by humans, but born an orc, and I have gleaned strength from both. Slave gladiator, war chief, shaman, diplomat, hero. The orc Thrall has been them all. Trained to be nothing more than a weapon, Thrall escaped a brutal captivity, studying the ways of shaman and becoming a war chief of the Horde. From leading his people to victory against the former, from, against their former demonic masters in war, to pursuing a just peace in Azeroth, Thrall's history and dual nature have made him unique among the heroes in this world. Standing ready once again to serve the Horde, this statue will be the highlight of any World of Warcraft collection. So uh, we got a couple pictures up. We got a link in uh, the show notes, but it is him and his gladiator, kind of the old school gold and black armor that he wore when he was a war chief, uh, rocking a, a early axe of the horde, and then in the other hand, having Doomhammer, his uh, shaman weapon. These things, um, it looks like there was a couple of them. There is uh, the the colored one, and then there is a non-colored one. Uh, and... I don't know why, but the non-colored one is more expensive. Really? So what it's made out of. It's limited edition, run of 500 statues. So I don't know if it's uh, 100% polyresin. I don't know if it's so you can paint your own. It could be, or, yeah. Or or what. But anyway, a huge whopping price tag. <laughs> $599 for yeah. one, $750 for the non-painted limited edition statue. So... Uh, yeah, we, we look at Weta workshops a lot, like the statues, and usually those $100 ones are just out of reach. This one here really uh, is probably out of reach. Now, I will say that they all kind of come out this way. I was looking at the Illidan two-foot-tall statue is now $399 instead of uh, 599 
So eventually they come on sale, but again, you're kind of risking that uh, if they'll still be around thing because I could not find the Jaina statue. Um, so anyway, it's it's fun to look at. Uh, if I had that kind of disposable income, I would definitely own it because it is cool. I, I I don't disagree with you. Um, now I have purchased, and this I think this speaks to the quality of what we see from Blizzard and whomever they partner with. I've purchased some of the World of Warcraft toys, the action figures, um, mm-hmm. the dolls, whatever, uh, of a couple of the dwarves, and like King Magni is one of them, and they are amazing. the The craftsmanship is just phenomenal, and I know that like Weta, if Blizzard's going to put something out, they have a high standard. And you guys, when you look at this model, like just look at the picture that we have up on, in the show notes, and holy shit the detail is phenomenal i mean they've just done a fantastic job and 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 it really does just epitomize and captures thrall um so i i get the high price tag especially with it being a poly resin and hand sculpted this is this is phenomenal this is really good Uh, if you don't want to pay for the poly resin i suppose you can try and go out there and find some of the old action figures i bet you they're starting to push those higher dollars though I think after seeing uh, what was the one we talked about last week, the Dritz one, I, gosh, you know, I, I think there's there's got to be a, a a middle ground there, and I think that one that we looked at of Dritz was probably in the price category where you know if you keep it around a hundred bucks, I could see that it's it's in that gift range of where you could get it for people, you know, and and I think that's different for everybody, but. For me, that's kind of the thing of all right. If I'm getting a gift for somebody, I like to keep it a hundred dollars because otherwise it gets awkward. Like I'm trying to get you to make out with me or something. So, isn't that what you're always trying to do? Usually, pre-COVID. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think that's kind of the the thing. So, it's very cool. It's well done. Maybe someday when right. I win the lottery. Um, and and then just kind of along the same lines of their their Blizzard store, they have some more cartoonish statues um, that are. Yeah, I don't like those as well, though. The yeah, the, the, I think it's different for sure. It's more in theme with like the game, almost an anime. But they're around sixty bucks, and so I think it's one of those things of, you know, I. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I will. I want to be able to afford the the big dog there. But so I remember uh, when I lived out. Oh, what are you sending me? <laughs> I, I sent you a picture of the sour thing. Uh, See, it looks cool, but I mean, it's just okay. I I'd yeah. absolutely much rather have the thrall. Yeah, and this one's forty five bucks versus six hundred. Right. Um, so. so when I lived in California. Uh, one of the things my older brother and I and my wife used to do is we used to go to different co- uh, comic shops, uh, which of course I did. Mm-hmm. And I versus the comic shop that I went to when I lived in Fairbanks, which is my you know favorite comic shop, just because of more probably nostalgia than anything. Um, these comic shops specialized, or I shouldn't say specialized, but oft had a lot of the different statues from the different comic books or, or different games and such. And I just remember I would walk in, see those statues, and and 
every time, no matter how many times they went into that store, would stare at those statues. And of course, they're always, you know, three, four, five, six, seven hundred dollars. And I could never afford one. Um, but I would always just stare at them and just be like, wow, these are incredible. And and that's exactly how I feel with this statue. And and again, like you said, they've done these before, like they've even done them for uh Diablo three. And 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 you and I have both just looked at them online and been like, wow. It's because the attention to detail is just phenomenal. And and you're right. This is one of those where if I had the disposable income, I'd probably have a couple of these. And, and I don't even play WoW anymore, but I I look at these and I'm like, wow, you know, I could I could throw a, a thrall over there on the on the ledge. That'd be pretty badass. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I, I we have a link in the show notes, like Nolan said, so you can take a look at it. There is a picture in the show notes. So you can take a look at it. You know, I tried to get a, a good one of Thrall's face so you could see the detail and, you know, and the leather working and the armor and, and, and it's just sculpting of the orc body itself. Super well done. Um, but we've probably gushed enough. <laughs> right. So yeah, let's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So I hope you guys do check it out. Um, let's jump over to Onyx Path as we continue down this little trail of the news here. Uh, World of Darkness Ghost Hunter Kickstarter is winding down. It is funded. They did knock down a few stretch goals. This one didn't get as funded as big as some of the other projects, but I'm not surprised as it's a, you know, tw- 20th anniversary X game versus a very specific line. Um, I think it is going to add some interesting flavor to your 20th anniversary games or, or give you an opportunity to play a different version of the game and hunt some of the creatures that are exist in the world of darkness. If you want to do that. Um, but what, what I did want to notice is that, or did want to mention is that Onyx path did kind of announce what their next Kickstarter is going to be. This is a, and they were very specific. Rich Thomas said that this is what they're thinking. Uh, and the reason they're thinking this is this will be their last Kickstarter of 2020, potentially, or or possibly their first Kickstarter of 2021, just depending on how things line up. And the reason they chose this one is because they own this title outright versus having to license it. And this is going to be, it's called Scarred Lands, Dead Man's Rust. Now, if you follow the show, you know that Nolan and I are both a fan of Scarred Lands. Uh, we got hooked on the Scarred Lands through Gauntlet of Spiragos and uh, the mega campaign um, Vengeance of the Shunned. Now, Dead Man's Rust is a mega campaign, and of course it is being headed up by our friend Travis Legg who is the line developer for Scarred Lands at Onyx Path. Travis is a fantastic writer. He's done some amazing stuff for Scarred Lands and other games. Uh, So I I have to imagine that with him leading this project, it is going to be a very well put together um, mega campaign like Vengeance of the Shun was. Uh, Maybe we can convince Travis to come on the show and talk to us about this if they actually launch this on Kickstarter. So that's it for, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just say I've I've enjoyed Skylines. Uh, they've been coming out with some pretty good books. Uh, I yeah I I think that's going to be an interesting way to do it. The mega campaign was was pretty solid as far as a campaign goes. Um, so I don't yeah. see it being bad. And again, it kind of took us into high level, which is something else I felt like we were missing. But it's a it's a fun yeah. world. It's kind of that free form, and the monsters are great. Yeah, you know, we got that creature collection for Scarred Land set. And the nice thing about that is, is that you can drop those into your D&D 5e game because, of course, Scarred Lands is played with D&D 5e rules. Um, so you can drop 5e or these monsters from the Scarred Lands creature collection to your D&D game just to add more flavor. It's like I offered Nolan to look at the book and he's like, no, I want to see these in the game and not just flip through the book. 
Yep, I don't want to. I don't want to know what's coming. So, Scarlands is is a lot of fun. I I cannot recommend enough to, for people to check out Scarlands. Um, you know, we've talked quite a bit about it. We've had Travis on the show to talk about it a couple times. Um, I am going to reach out to him if this does end up going to Kickstarter to see if he wants to come on and talk about it, because uh, that would be pretty neat. So that's but that's all I saw for Onyx Path. Um, I did because I was as I always do. I scrolled through the Monday me- Monday meeting notes to find out where things are at in development process, and I, and I saw a couple things were moving along. But then I get down to the shipping aspect, and and I think at this point there are probably I think it was eight items that are sitting at the Kickstarter fulfillment center waiting to be shipped out. Of course, one of those being they came from beneath the sea. I did reach out to Rich Thomas and just say, hey, do we have any update on that? Because it's been sitting at the Kickstarter fulfillment for well over a month now. And again, it's one of those where had I just purchased it off a drive through RPG, I would already have the book. Right. Yeah, you want to support them and you want to do the Kickstarter and, and help stuff get funded. But if you're behind the yeah. Level, and that's tough. And I know, I know this is definitely COVID related, and it's de- it's slowed down the shipping avenues, shipping lanes, if you will. Uh, but man, this is this is a long one. Mm-hmm. All right, enough of that. Let's jump over to Chaosium, who recently announced the release of the Children of Fear. This is an epic multi-part campaign for Call of Cthulhu. According to the media release, these scenarios explore the myths and legends of Central Asia and Northern India. Currently, the supplement is only available in PDF format, but there is a a hardcover book expected to be released in 2021. Uh, According to the media release, if you purchase the PDF, you will get credit for the full cost of that PDF towards the purchase of the hardcover book. So I thought that was really cool. Um, And you can find it, of course, at the link in the show notes. Uh, Call of Cthulhu is a game that I've played in the past, and it's a ton of fun. It's something I'd love to do again. In fact, I had talked to Nolan about possibly doing one on Halloween, but oh, look, I got everybody sick. Yep. (laughs) So that's not going to (laughs) happen. Nope. So that's all for Chaosium. Hunter Entertainment, um, backers of the Altered Carbon RPG, should have received an email this week updating them on the project. Uh, Within the email, we got to see some pictures of some of the products that they did, some of the stretch goals. They look great. Uh, I didn't go super high dollar into this Kickstarter. I just wanted to make sure I got a a physical copy of the book. I have flipped through the PDF just quickly, and it looks fantastic. I'm really excited to get my hands on it, uh, on the the actual book. According to the update, shipping of the physical book could begin as early as next month. So my fingers are crossed there that I can actually check this one off the Kickstarter list. It'd be a good timing for them as well to not mess that one up with uh, Cyberpunk 2077 coming out in November, uh, giving people an opportunity that won't be able to get enough of that game. So, yeah, I think, I think it would be in their best interest to make sure that gets. I would agree with you. Uh, I think capitalizing on the release of, of uh, Cyberpunk and just playing into that whole Cyberpunk genre would be a great, great timing. Now, they did say that uh, there's a, a backpack that you could get, um, Hello Unicorn backpack. It's, you know, themed off of Hello Kitty. Um, and I can't remember where this was in the show. I'm sure it was in there. I just missed it. But you can, um, there was a backpack that was part of the whole thing. And apparently the backpack has caused all sorts of delays. And they're saying that the backpack will be released. I thought it was 30 to 60 days after everything else ships. 
So that was some of the hangup that they had with getting the product out. It sounds like this product may have already, there were some, some, some issues with quality, but I think they wanted to have this one fulfilled at least a month ago. Nice. So they're, they're getting close to getting it out, which is exciting. Well, that is all the news that I saw. Did you see anything I've missed? I didn't. Um, kind of in the waiting game as well for some of the digital stuff to start coming out next month is going to be busy. Any news on Tolis? I have not gotten any updates at all. I also haven't looked into it either because it's one of those things of after we've talked about uh, uh, Camp Beneath the Sea and all that, I'm just like, uh, I'd rather just be like, hey, it's on its way versus right. tracking it. So I'm trying to ignore it. I'm, I'm treating it like my 401k. Just don't look at it and know it's there. Our topic of the week is warlock invocations and necromancy spells. Like I said, we wanted to kind of keep this uh, almost Halloween theme. So we're looking at the dark arts, if you will. Now, <laughs> I will be very you know, open in this. I don't know these as well as Nolan does. Nolan has played a warlock before, and he has a good grip on how they work and how the invocations work. So I'm going to be relying on him quite a bit. But I do have a couple of necromancy spells that I thought looked really neat. Um, why don't you kick us off on this one? Okay. I think looking at necromancy spells, uh, I... It's nice to see them encompass everything. I think for me, the uh, the big area that I neglected or underlooked, you know, in my mind, it's like, oh, it's this dark arts, dark wizards, raising undead. There, I mean, quite a few, if not most of them, are cleric spells, and they literally yeah. are the idea of mastering life and death, and 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 again, bringing people back. You know, the resurrection spell is this big, you know, big deal to cast, bringing people back from the dead. You know, and it's not a very you know holy thing it's a very unholy thing of bringing somebody back and so i think it kind of is one of those things of it, it helped remind me that um spells aren't inherently good or evil it's how you use them and i think we've had that discussion a few times of you know when it comes to some of the elements and that kind of stuff of of a pyromancer you know that kind of stuff of anyway so looking at that i wanted to start with uh, a spell that I want to find a build around. I want to use um, a character that focuses on it, but because it is in that uh, up close and personal style range, I find it hard to do on a warlock or a wizard. But this also goes to clerics and the death or grave domain. And that spell is a third level spell called Vampiric Touch. It is one action, is a concentration spell that lasts a minute. Uh, the touch of your shadow-wreathed hand can siphon life force from others to heal your wounds. Make a melee spell attack against a creature within your reach. On a hit, the target takes 3d6 necrotic damage, and you regain hit points equal to half the amount of necrotic damage dealt. Until the spell ends, you can make the attack again on each of your turns as an action. So it being a, a touch spell, um, I could see it working on... Uh, a warlock, just because they have the opportunity with like a hexblade to have medium armor and a shield. A uh, wizard could be pretty scary, I think, getting into melee range. Um, again, if you're getting hit, you know, that's it's one of those things that it kind of works as, I suppose, a oh crap moment, I'm surrounded and can't get out, so I'm just going to start grabbing these guys and see who lasts the longest. Uh, it screams really well for the clerics that can snag it, just because of the armor. 
Um, and again, sometimes you do need to be up so you can, you know, healing word or, or not healing word, but cure wounds on people. But I think it would be fun to be, this is kind of a, I don't know, 3d6 around is pretty good. It's better than a great sword. Uh, lasting a minute it it pushes in the realm that could be pretty good you could be pretty be kind of a, a siphon tank almost i don't know again i don't know where the build is i'm sure people have come up with it but i i could see this being kind of a thing of i don't know uh, maybe a, a a level of two of monk kind of going in that theme of balancing between the fist and the grave you know a shadow monk with maybe enough levels of of death domain or grave cleric uh where you know you are getting wailed on and you have to stand there and take it for a little bit so now all of a sudden instead of punching and kicking you're kind of attacking people's souls and it could have a nice dark feel to it but you know i wanted to choose that one like i i kept going back to that one over and over and over but what got me is when i think about playing a spellcaster i want to be at range the whole time and i didn't even think about a hexblade warlock because i was like oh man i don't want to be up close and get hurt and but i kept wanting to pick that spell so i'm i'm glad you picked that one it's it, it would be if there was a like a Warlocks don't get a lot of spell slots, so it's it's kind of hard to pick one that lasts a minute, you know, when you've got Hex and that kind of stuff. But um, and, and the fun of theme and homebrew and, and, and that kind of stuff, maybe you will see it at some point, you know, somewhere there. But it would be really fun on a Paladin, almost like an Arthas style. Uh, nice. You know, like maybe that combination of Darth Vader meets Arthas meets, you know, all of a sudden you've got a vampiric touch plate mail shield he puts his sword down and just is like you know swiping at your your essence you know i, th I think that could be kind of a fun dark moment or just building a bad guy around it um you know just sitting there uh some sort of scary dude that just sidesteps puts his hand on your chest and doesn't even punch you just you know just let, touches you on the arm or something like that very gently and you feel your life force getting drawn out and stuff right. so, you know you could create kind of that eerie bad guy that's built around this like don't let it get close to you you know it's 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 a soul sucking kind of maneuver so i don't know Th there's a lot of fun for it uh but again like you said it, it does have that drawback of being melee and it's really hard to again at that point it's like well i can i can do this and get in there and get hit or i can drop a fireball and, right and, and usually we're gonna pick fireball so speaking of fireball i picked something that's pretty equivalent to fireball <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> i went with blight uh blight go. is a fourth level spell that is cast at range now of course this isn't like fireball and that it's gonna blow up and hit everything because you cast this at a target of your choice that you can see within range and i think you know that's something that we always have to remember to look at when we're looking at spells is that there is very specific that it says usually a target of your choice that you can see in range um so you, you need to remember that um, target must make a constitution saving throw. If they pass the saving throw, of course, they take half damage. The damage in this one, the target's going to take 8d8 necrotic damage or half as much on a successful save. Uh, when cast at higher levels, you get to add an additional d8 for every level above a fourth. So it can really get going pretty quick. Um, there is a I love the clause in this, and that is uh, if you cast it on a plant, the plant just withers and dies. <laughs> I don't right. know why I like that, but I suppose if uh, you come across a tower that's completely surrounded by like um, th a thicket of briars or something, you can just be like, I'll oh, get the fuck out of here. 
<laughs> it's total into the woods there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that one was really interesting. Um, it just seems like it's a, a cool spell that you can use that, you know, at fourth level is going to have some, you know, potential for some because what is that total 64 damage if you get, you know, full, you know, just basic off the dice roll um, mm-hmm. that has, you know, there's a fair amount of damage on that. I would say you're probably going to average around at least 40. So. Yep. So blight, simple, not nearly as in-depth as Nolan's vampiric touch. I'm really glad you chose that one, but it is definitely one I would cast. Yeah, and it's it's open to a lot of classes too, which you know the last one wasn't necessarily. Uh, we've seen it used mostly by druids, uh, so yes. far. And yes, I, and I think it is because it's one of their limited, like you know, good spells. Not good spells, but like limited fourth, you know, damage. You know, here's some raw. Something bad's gonna happen. So, yep. So what is your um, number two? All right, so mine is playing around the theme of I couldn't stop thinking about the the vampiric touch kind of idea. It's concentration. You're healing yourself. Um, again, if you're getting beat on, it's not really you know the best thing. So how you know the spell doesn't work unless you're using it to heal yourself. And and so that was kind of the thing of it is like okay, three d six around is good. Healing back for it is gravy. But if you're full health, it doesn't do anything. So is it a waste of a spell if you top yourself off and and the monster's dead or the one that was attacking you turns away from you? You're not getting hit on anymore because it's, you know, for whatever reason, you know, it, it's forced to attack something else or it's choosing to attack something else. So in that theme of making it a worthwhile concentration spell, my other spell that I liked for necromancy was life transference. And it is a third level spell, one action. Uh, you sacrifice some of your health to mend another creature's injuries. You take 4d8 necrotic damage, which can't be reduced in any way, and one creature of your choice that you can see within range regains a number of hit points equal twice the necrotic damage you take. Uh, You can upcast this to hurt yourself more, but this was kind of the idea of, okay, so now all of a sudden, like, you know, I use, I get my blight going, I top myself off, I'm full health, I've kind of wasted this vampiric touch, you know what, I'm going to spin this and I'm going to hit the person that's doing it. So I'm going to damage myself, I'm going to give life to somebody else, uh, and then I'll use my vampiric touch to regain or recoup some of my losses. So kind of led into the idea of a build that's playing, um, instead of, you know, everything, Oh, gosh, it, it kind of goes into the idea of maybe a, a a character that's all balance of like, why can't just ask the gods to heal you? Uh, it has to come from somewhere. And this is part of my sacrifice. You know, it kind of goes into that monk or that priest that whips himself kind of mentality, you know, that could take a little darker sure. tone. Um, so he's, you know, ripping out his own life, giving it to you and then stealing the life from another from the monster or whatever. And then the penance is paid. Uh, in order to keep you alive. And that's, a, this is my burden on the world. You know, it, it gets really edge lordy, but um, I, I like the idea of when all else fails, I will give my life to further the cause. And this is one of those spells that I think is justifiable and it's good to use for yourself, but I don't necessarily know that anybody else would pick up on the fact that you're over there like, I'll heal you, you're fine, go do that. And in the middle of combat, they don't see the blood dripping out of your ears because you're killing yourself to keep them alive. So I don't know. It, it, it's fun. It kind of goes in that one of like, why would you ever do this? Uh, 
emergency type situations. But again, with uh, something like Vampiric Touch rolling, it makes it, okay, I'll take 48, heal you for double. Next turn, I heal myself for 3d6 uh, and see where we're at after the grand scheme of things of, okay, next turn, am I healing again or am I, you know, healing myself by siphoning? So they play well together. That's cool. So my second one, if you if you follow along with this series, you know that I really enjoy spells that mess with time. I love the idea of time manipulation. Temporis is one of my favorite disciplines in uh, Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, I like the fact that we have the 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 time wizards in uh, the Eberron book. Uh, so I, I really enjoy anything that messes with time. So mine is, of course, a ninth level spell. I always like to go to the top for at least one of these because I would love to see this cast. And that is Time Ravage. Time Ravage, of course, ninth level spell. It has a casting time of one action and a range of 90 feet. Uh, the target You target a creature that you can see within range, putting its physical form through the devastation of rapid aging. The target must make a constitution saving throw, taking 10d12 necrotic damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. If the save fails, the target also ages to the point where it only has 30 days left before it dies of old age. In this aged state, the target has disadvantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws, and its walking speed is halved. Only the wish spell or the greater restoration spell cast at ninth level can end these effects and restore the target to its previous age. Now, again, I thoroughly enjoy anything that's going to mess with time. Um, I think the concept of wizards being able to manipulate time or, or spellcasters, sorry, being able to manipulate time is absolutely fascinating. And it's something that at high levels, like I said, this is a ninth level spell, gives them an advantage over everybody else because like we've talked about time stop where they can just say, boom, time is standing still for everybody except for me. Now I can choose the person that I think is the you know most deadliest and, and start doing things to give them you know, set them up so where I can cast a massive spell on them. So where, you know, they're going to fail or have a higher chance of failing their saving throws or whatever. There's ways that they can manipulate things to make it so where everything is at their advantage. Um, I love time stop because they could do that. They could set the battlefield the way they want to. You imagine throwing like time ravage on, you know, that one hero that just seems to keep beating you down. And, and of course, constitution saving throw is going to be the, the trick here because a lot of like fighters especially tend to focus on constitution no one i've talked about this where we feel like constitution is one of your major stats because this is a your hit point stat you want to have good hit points if you're going to be that close-up fighter obviously strength or dexterity is going to take priority over that but still it's going to be in your top three so you do probably have a high chance of not getting the full benefit of this instead having a max of what is that uh 60 damage on this one uh, so i know it's not a whole lot but man if this one if they fail the constitution saving throw and they take the full damage and then now they're aged to the point where they're about to die holy shit you've really just changed the battlefield quickly and and if it does force it so where the wizard in the party is not focusing on you because now they have to cast wish or greater restoration to help their their friend here you've completely changed the the scope of the battlefield really quick just with one spell So there you go. That was mine. I like it. I like it. I like, it. I like the uh, an hourglass filled with a diamond dust worth at least five thousand gold pieces, which the yeah. spell consumes. 
So, and, and yeah. I think it is one of those nice things of, again, you're fighting a ninth level thing. You know, that means that it's a 17th level caster. You're probably towards the end of the campaign. This could be a really nice way to, for the Lich to say a big F you to the guy that's about to banish it or something like that. And being like, you won the day, but uh, I'll see you in hell, you know, type situation, you know. So it's, it, it right. leads to that style. You know, and and I think uh, we get so often, especially I know for me, um, and this is one of the reasons why Curse of Strahd is so, so tempting to go back and play or so desirable to go back and play is because, you know, when we did play that, uh, I was so green as a DM coming back into it after so, so long that I didn't know how to use some of the abilities. I didn't know how to use some of the spells. I didn't know what he could or couldn't do. And it made us where that fight was super, super fast. And, and the same is true as I know you died, but the same is true uh, in the fight against a Sarah I, I wasn't as confident as I am today on some of those abilities and, and it'd be a completely different fight. Now um, I know how to use some of these things a lot better now, and I would do a lot better job of planning that fight. Obviously players change plans in a heartbeat, but it still would have a better idea of how I want the fight to go and be able to dictate that versus just going, Oh shit, what do I do now? Right. And these and kind I of spells that's... lend that. When it's one on six, uh, any combat is complicated. Um, and I've said, and Patrick and I have talked about it, I've just about any, uh, any air quotes boss battle I have, any kind of monster or something like that, I usually have a, a couple waves of things coming in or some summon creatures, uh, anything to eat a couple attacks that need to be dealt with, whether they're real threats or not. Uh, you know, that's why I like some of the illusion spells or I like some of the mind altering stuff, because even that fighter taking four attacks away from my big bad guy bought me around to prolong the fight. Um, you know, a Serac is a, is a wizard, uh, teleports, misty steps, invisibilities. You know, all of a sudden the game... The game gets scary when the bad guy is running because you have to chase him because you don't want to let a high-level wizard prepare for your next encounter. Um, but then you're also, you know, most of these guys have these layers, and now all of a sudden, you know, you've done a good job with, you know, in the past of having a beholder's layer be every bit as frightening as the actual boss itself, you know. So now all of a sudden you're, you, you are recklessly, you know, rampaging through Strahd's castle uh, while he's trying to regen at half health or something. You know, it's now you're dealing with werewolves. Now you're dealing with all kinds of stuff that I think yeah. is one of those things of now it's like, okay, you know, WoW does a good job of having that, okay, we're through phase one, now it's phase two, then on to phase three. And it's one of those things of you've hit that triggered event, um, you know, and whether you decide that that's your boss died too fast and he went missed form and went through the crack in the wall and now phase two has started. Um, it, it can feel like cheapening it sometimes, I think, because sometimes a guy will do 100 damage and your guy's got 127, and you've got to be like, well, this isn't uh, epic or iconic or or lasting of the moment. Um, so that's that's usually what I do, is I usually try and build those kind of worst-case scenario thing of, crap, you know, what if Feeble Mind goes off? You know, what if right. the wizard gets Feeble Mind off? good for them you know what i mean like do you just say good yeah. for them and, and and you know let them have the day and and feel it you know sometimes that's going to happen i mean it, it is the way of the dice and that's uh you know nine times out of ten it's never going to happen but I, I usually assume that if it's not going to happen is when it does that's when somebody gets two or three crits in a row or something and just trivializes an encounter or you know 
So anyway, that's that's uh, <laughs> I, I think it'll be interesting to see the next time I go around of one of those things, too, just because there are a lot of high level spells that can ruin people's existences, as you see. With right, everyone. right. And, and, you know, in saving throws, I, I, I sometimes think people trivialize their saving throws uh, like. Time Ravage specifically says a constitution saving throw. As as somebody who loves to play dwarves, um, I don't know that I would throw this at a dwarf because I know immediately they're going to have a higher constitution typically because they get that plus two bonus to their constitution. And I would I would much rather throw this at someone that I have a higher chance of them failing their constitution saving throw. So I think, you know, when you do talk about you know, having to plan these out, you know, as the, the DM, if I'm running, say a Sarah and he is, and he does have this ability, I, I want to be able to say, okay, where is this going to be the most effective? Um, you know, uh, and as the DM, I can look over the players and say, okay, I want to cast this spell on this person because I know well, they, they have the highest chance to fail. And, and I, I totally agree of, uh, if, if you're in a group in a situation, you know, most players would be like, take out the caster first, or that's their healer, or, you know, I, th I think there's no excuse that uh, the opposite isn't true as well. A Sarak knows that the deadliest thing, like, well, I'll just fly up and stay away from the barbarian. He's not my threat if I stay on the ground. The wizard is, the cleric is, they don't survive long, you know make them be hyper intelligent they don't have to just attack what's in front of them uh right and that's what makes it scary too because then all of a sudden the barbarian that rushes in 60 feet to attack the monster and all of a sudden you know they that guy misty steps away from them flies up in the air and it starts raining down on the casters well that that barbarian isn't doing anything it's not protecting its allies it's not you know punish it for being the lone wolf punish it for you know you know cool you can make four attacks and then action surge and make four attacks um can't do, do it if i'm that? up in the air yeah hope you brought a bow uh how high is your hand axe go so yeah have them have them be play to play to win within the rules i think is what it is and that way you know that's that's how it how you got to go it's like well you know don't just make them immune to stuff but just give them that change of well it flew up in the air what do you got well i can't do anything You've been here yeah. 17 levels and you don't have a short bow. Shame on you. Yeah, no shit. Well, yeah. then bad for you. <laughs> yep. That's that's yep. On, that's on you. I can't believe you know, I think this. as we sit here and we discuss this, I, I think it'd be interesting. Um, I'd love to grab like Zach Goins um, from Bite Size Gaming and have him come on our show. And, and the three of us just talk about running a boss fight, running an epic level boss fight. Zach does a lot of DMing for Adventure League stuff for conventions. And I'd love to get his take on how he does things with conventions when they actually get to that big boss fight and just talk about how some of that can be ran. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I agree. So, Zach, if you're listening, reach out to me or i'll reach out to you one of the two <laughs> there you go okay so that was time ravage i think it's actually your turn now yeah i think uh looking at my last one for the necromancy spells it, it goes into that same line of a lot of necromancy attacks constitution and and that stuff is scary to deal with especially as a player because most monsters are good at that i mean that's just the the way the game goes it is one of the most common uh attacks but also one of the most commonly resistant so if i'm going to attack a con save i want something more and and i think that's the big thing again of maximizing spells if i'm going to waste a fifth level spell i want it to do something uh before it's wasted and that doesn't happen very often so my fifth level necromancy spell is contagion 
It is one action. It lasts up to seven days. Uh, your touch inflicts disease. Make a melee spell attack against a creature within reach. On hit, the target is poisoned. So the big thing out of there is melee spell attack. I'm not dealing with, you know, you're dealing with AC, but there's no con save yet. And you instantly get to poison something. And again, uh, as most players know, disadvantage is huge. Uh, and I think it's the same. I mean, it, it it almost makes it impossible to be crit on. So again, you know, as a as a DM, having your big bad with disadvantage as well really turns the tide of the fight. Because uh, at this point in the game, you know, things have plus 12 to hit. Disadvantage is pretty huge. So being able to just instantly poison something, giving them disadvantage, I think is really key. At the end of each of the poisoned target's turns, the target must make a constitution saving throw. If the target succeeds on three of these saves, it is no longer poisoned. And the spell ends. So I like that at least three rounds, guaranteed, is yeah. going to have disadvantage. And that's that's pretty darn good. That That's usually enough time for the fight to be over. Most fights don't go five rounds. So opening with this thing, three rounds of disadvantage usually gets the favor so far in your, in, in your lead or so far ahead that uh, you're doing well. If the target fails yes. on these saves, the target is no longer poisoned, uh, but choose one of the diseases below. The target is subjected to the chosen disease for the spell's duration, which is the seven days. Uh, since the spell includes a natural disease in its target, any effect that removes a disease or otherwise, uh, wow, ameliorates? Wow, I don't even know what that word is. Huh. I, I'm not good at English language, apparently. Uh, the disease's effects apply to it. So you get to pick if they fail three times, which may or may not happen. I mean, it's going to be pretty hard to do. They've got six rules to get, you know, 50-50 chance. But blinding sickness, pain grips the creature's mind, and its eyes turn milky white. The creature has disadvantage on wisdom checks and wisdom saving throws and is blinded for the next seven days. Uh, filth fever. A raging fever sweeps through the creature's body. The creature has disadvantage on strength checks, strength saving throws, and attack rolls that use strength flesh rot the creature's flesh decays the creature has disadvantage on charisma checks and is vulnerable to all damage mind fire the creature's mind becomes feverish the creature has disadvantage on intelligence checks and intelligence saving throws and the creature behaves as if under the effects of a confusion spell during combat seizure the creature is overcome with shaking the creature has disadvantage on dexterity checks dexterity saving throws and attack rolls that use dexterity Slimy Doom. The creature begins to bleed uncontrollably. The creature has disadvantage on constitution checks and constitution saving throws. In addition, whenever the creature takes damage, it is stunned until the end of its next turn. So, again, one of these things, most likely if you have a, a fight as a player and you get this, you're going to get three rounds of poison out of it. Uh, most likely this thing isn't walking away long enough to, uh, you know, get infected for seven days because most likely you're not going to leave it there alive um as a dm i like this kind of spell because again it's one of those things of a nice uh well enjoy yourself while i die you're going to deal with this and this is going to be an issue and again it's one of those things of as a dm you know you go after the person you know the poison thing works really well against the fighter attacking you in the moment um but also, you know, attacking the, the the caster that isn't proficient in constitution that might be a little bit weaker 
hitting it with a confusion spell for seven days where it just kind of starts, you know, moving around, watering lot, you know, that it's one of those things of like, well, you hit it with contingency, it's poisoned. And the bad guy is one of those ones that gets to run away or whatever, you know, you, you're buying yourself time. Uh, and I think that's, that's kind of the fun of it. Again, dealing with some of the stuff afterwards. Well, for that, you know, you're in the middle of a dungeon and you know, your, your tank has, you know, a fever now and, and, or is blind or, you know, it, it, it causes a pain in the ass point for your players. And I think that's a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I like spells that have just all those different sort of, I hate using options, but that just seems to be what it is there. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen with that spell. Yeah. And, and the idea that you get to choose again, mm-hmm. uh, again, three rounds of disadvantage is huge. I think just in that part alone, it would be worth it as, you know, this is a cleric, druid, uh, oathbreaker, paladin. Uh, you know, it's it's in that realm of, you know, as a druid, I think it's, you know, no concentration. You know, you can have your wolves up, and all of a sudden that thing trying to kill your wolves or whatever has attacks at disadvantage. There's a good chance they're going to survive longer. Uh, you know, I, th- I think it's just one of those good, good spells. And then it has gravy on top of it if if it happens to survive the three rounds of, you know, and right again, that's it. Three consecutive rounds of making it. It's got six rounds to pass or fail those three. I mean, it, it could be the whole encounter for you that it has disadvantage on attacks and ability checks. So, which, and we've seen those kind of things happen before in fights where someone is struggling to make those three in a row and suddenly it's a completely different fight. Mm-hmm. Oh, a disadvantage on the fighter is such a huge way to make your combat last longer. Um, <laughs> this is true. I mean, that that really is. I mean, you want to talk about just ejecting somebody who rolls a 20 and then rolls like a four. Like, oh, I would have had a crit if I didn't have this. Well, that's why he casts a spell. He missed. Exactly. Let's go. Next attack. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And it's funny because like we've seen again, we've seen these where somebody does have disadvantage over uh, X amount of time. And by the time they get to the second or third roll, they're just like, well, let's see how bad I can fuck this one up. <laughs> yep. Oh, so, it's, yeah. I think it's every one. time I DM, I cast slow on Zach just out of the fact that he hates it so much. You know, <laughs> the of, like, there's a few of those that are just like, oh, not that one again. I hate you. You know, and you're like, yeah, I know. I'm OK with that. <laughs> that's awesome so i did find another spell i wanted to talk about because i think this is this one's pretty cool and it reminds me of spirit guardians which as we know i mentioned is one of my favorite cleric spells and this is spirit shroud uh, this is a third level spell that is cast as a bonus action you call for spirits of the dead which flit around you for the spell's duration the, sp- the spirits are intangible and invulnerable and they are either good or evil depending on your choice uh, until the spell ends any attack you make deals one 1d8 extra damage when you hit a creature within 10 feet of you. This damage is radiant if the spirits are good and necrotic if they are evil. Any creature that takes this damage can't regain hit points until the start of your next turn. In addition, any creatures of your choice that you can see that starts this turn within 10 feet of you has its speed reduced by 10 feet until the start of your next turn. Um, and, and I, I, I like stuff like this. Let's see, it says uh, at higher levels, when you cast a spell using a spell slot of fourth level or higher, the extra damage increases 1d8 for for each spell slot above third. So this is just another one of those. It's almost like a nuisance spell. You know, you can throw it up, it gets going, um, and it, it just kind of just 
fucks with people. You know, it's not like it's going to the D8 extra damage is not a whole lot, but but it's not trivial by any steps of the imagination either. So I, I feel like when you cast spells like this, you just give yourself that little extra push and it's just enough to annoy whomever you're fighting against. And I, I kind of like spells that do that, especially when it's a bonus action. Yeah, and I and I think the big takeaway from there is it says any attack you make deals 1d8 damage uh, last right. minute. So again, you, I see Cleric, Wizard, Warlock, and Paladin. And the first thing that comes to mind for me is, okay, so third level is ninth level for Paladin. Um, that That's, you know, at that point, you know, say you have a Glaive, uh, your Polearm Master, you're getting three attacks. Now you're actually, you know, 3d8 extra damage. Uh, it it really adds up for again over the course of a minute you know you got your 10 rounds uh it it really adds up um it it makes a case for any of these spells that i see like that you know if there's an opportunity to dual wield or get that bonus action attack it makes it a little bit better uh the idea that you can upcast it right the first thing, the first thing that screams to me is so fourth level paladin uh what is it, 12, 15th level, I think they get 4th level spells. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, but at 11th level Paladin, it starts adding this kind of ability passively. They do 1d8 Radiant with every hit they do. So now all of a sudden you're doing you know, 2d8 on top of the 1d12. It really adds up. Uh, this being 5th level spell for a Warlock on a Hexblade with a Polearm. That's yeah. I mean, it's you're you're turning into some serious damage. Uh, it makes me again want to find ways to sneak this into a class that dual wields. Yes, yes. Um, and again, slowing things down. You know, it's got a little bit of gravy to it. Giving this as an opportunity to uh, warlocks and wizards and paladins is good. Uh, I I don't think it replaces spirit guardians for your cleric. No, absolutely not. But now all of a sudden you've got something like this on a different class, and I think that's pretty darn cool. Which is exactly what I was thinking. I mean, Spirit Guardians is a badass in and of itself, and this does not replace it at all. I, but again, I think about just what, because I, I really visualize this stuff. I, I like to imagine what it's going to look like, and this just has such a neat visual to it. It doesn't, you know, it's not again not as good as Spirit Guardians, but the fact that it does get upcast, the fact that it does slow the creatures, the fact that it just adds that little extra, and it doesn't have to be a melee attack. It's any attack that you make that deals damage. And wow, I mean, it's just there's a lot of potential with it, and I thought it was really cool. I would do it. Uh, it would it would be hard pressed, but I could see it being fun, like on a blade singer. You're, you're oh yeah, Ely, and all of a sudden that you know you're fighting with your ancestors or spirit. You know, I, the thematics around it go really good. So mm -hmm. absolutely. So that is our warlock spells. Or I'm sorry, our necromancy spells. And we're going to jump to Warlock Invocations now. And I'm going to have to rely on you for this, Nolan, because my knowledge of Warlock Invocations is just, well, nothing. Um, I did find one, but I would wager you probably picked it too. So I'm going to let you start. Well, I here's the thing. And I think this has been, for me, the mindset when it comes to Warlocks as of, as of late. Um, it is the caster's... Or it's the yeah, it's the caster's version of the fighter, and 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 get every idea, preconceived notion that you have that this is a magic user in the scope of a wizard, uh, a bard, a cleric, sorcerer, druid. Um, don't don't look at it that way. And 
I th I think I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be designed, but once I did that, it it helped a lot. Um, you are highly specialized. A fighter battle master focused on being an archer um, runs very parallel to a warlock caster Eldritch Blast, and then what we have in Eldritch Invocations is allows you to really become specific. Uh, fighter takes archery fighting style. Uh, Eldritch Invocations like Agonizing Blast. Uh, what else is the other one there? Uh, Eldritch Spear. Now all of a sudden your Eldritch Blast has a range of 300 feet. You know, they're running parallel with a longbow and an Eldritch Blast as a sniper. Um, so I, I think that's the thing with invocations is it is a dark art to make you more specialized. Now we start bringing in that rogue expertise on some of these things. And, and once you start, once I started looking at it this way of, I didn't feel like I was getting less. I felt like I was getting more of this is, this is like the fighter caster. It's very specialized. It has the ability to hybrid out, you know, a shield and dueling fighter makes the same amount of attacks with a short bow or a long bow. And the fact that you wouldn't come prepared for that moment when the dragon's flying around just would never happen. So this allows you to still kind of be that best of both worlds, but these let you hone your skill. Um, and some of them, you know, uh, improved pack weapon is a pack to the blade feature. And all of a sudden, any weapon you summon is a plus one weapon really focuses you down that path of uh, I'm going to be kind of a weapon focused caster and use my spells to augment that uh, things like maddening hex as a bonus action you cause psychic disturbance around the target caused by your hex now we're focusing on the hex spell and it's becoming our specialty um, and and making that better uh, a lot of the really cool things that invocations do is allow you to cast abilities for free and for me one of those ones that because there are so many good ones that are based around damage, um, I, I really love uh, the ones that are kind of the free fluff that allows you to be something weird or different. And there are a lot of good ones, and I almost wish there was a way to get more. Um, but for me, I like the ones, uh, one of my first ones is uh, Mask of Many Faces. You can cast Disguise Self at will without expending a spell slot. Um, there is no level on this. So having just a couple levels of Warlock on a Rogue all of a sudden makes you a Master Thief because of that Disguise spell. Um, and we see that a lot throughout these invocations. It allows you to do things for free sometimes or once a day where you're kind of poaching from other abilities. Uh, and and the thing of being able to be as creative with it as possible. I mean, a thief with a permanent disguise spell is you walk in the door looking like one person, you rob the bank looking like another, you walk out looking like another person, and then you round the corner and you're a completely different person. I mean, there's no way you get caught unless a high-level maid shows up, you know? Right. Um, you know, that that's that's how some of that stuff is really going to to catch up with you. Um it, it 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 is very much like the lines of that would be really good for the right build, but it's hard to ignore some of the damage ones. Uh, Eyes of the Runekeeper, you can read all writing. the The idea behind all that writing, is, all writing, you can read all writing. I mean, it's just wow. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things of that's really awesome. That's that's really cool. I don't have enough slots to take it, and I want it, 
uh, beast speech. You cast speak with animals at will without expending a spell slot. Just permanently up. It, that kind of stuff is is fun, and I want more of, and I wish that was kind of more their thing, uh, Armor of Shadows. You cast Mage Armor on yourself at will without expending a spell slot or material components. Again, always armored is, you know, great. Uh, I think there's Eldritch Sight, uh, where you can cast Detect Magic at will without expending spell slots. So you permanently live in this world of, you know, or choose to do so. And those are those little things of, I, as a wizard, I hate casting Detect Magic regularly because it's a waste of a spell slot. Here you're hyper-focused and, you know, you could build around, I read all writing, uh, I can... Uh, detect magic at will i can speak with animals you know you're you're this what are you you're just this you know you can build around this thing of it doesn't have to be maybe necessarily dark it's just kind of i'm i, I love knowledge and i was blessed by something of knowledge or whatever good indifferent bad whatever but i use it to be the world's greatest bookworm or you know i just i love being an investigator of the unknown and the magic and now we're getting to that call of cthulhu style thing of i cast detect magic at will i read all the writing this isn't a language i've never seen before that's not a thing for me you know i can tell you exactly what it says uh so i i like the fluff spells in there um that i wish you could get more of i wish there was almost like an invocation passive and an invocation active where you could take something cool uh that's damage based that's combat based that's big spell based and then also get some of the stuff of beguiling influence you gain proficiency and deception and persuasion skills for free you're just naturally charismatically charmed you're kind of like a double you know it's like one of those things of i know that i'm not supposed to you know like this vampire but it's you know whatever it is is just compelling and 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 it's just the natural aura they they gain that stuff so anyway my my invocation is all the random ones apparently uh, <laughs> of of that just gives you passives or allows you just to activate it that can speed up a campaign or make things easier um i i really like a lot of them uh but yeah i think that's the thing of <laughs> you can really customize your warlock to be something other than just uh a guy who made a deal with the devil right Absolutely. And, and I wish I understood invocations better and I had the grasp that you do on them because I'm like, um, uh, agonizing blast because it looks pretty good. Uh, but I, I like the fact that you took the time to really kind of tell us how you look at it and, and say, these are some of the things that I would do. It, it, you definitely didn't just say, all right, here's my number one. You're like, here's why they're all kind of good. <laughs> it, it, it really does. Again, look at it as a specialist, uh, look at it as, um, you know, again, the fighter can really hone its skills and go down the path of, I want to be the best archer in the world. I'm going to take archery fighting style. I'm going to get the extra attack. I'm going to take sharpshooter. I'm going to take crossbow expert. You know, and it becomes this not not one dimensional, but this highly expert. You know, it becomes legless. It becomes right. this guy that that's just picking people apart. Do the same thing with your warlocks. If it is all in on. Uh, the oddball stuff or being a u utility spells, do it. If you want to focus on all the blade stuff and adding the extra attack life drinker, adding your charisma to the damage of your packed weapon, you know, go all in on that thing. It doesn't make you not be able to swing a sword or not be able to cast Eldritch Blast. It just, those are, those help round out the utility of your expertise. Um, so 
I, I will say that I've got one after this that I think is the best one in the world. So I'll let so, you know yours. Uh, <laughs> no, you might as well just go ahead and say it. <laughs> um, I I love and I almost find it impossible for me not to build a, a, a literal character that doesn't dip Warlock for Devil's Sight. I... I love, love, love Devil's Sight. You can see normally in darkness, both magical and non-magical, to a distance of 120 feet. I, I get the Riddick vibes. I get, you know, I mean, just the idea of him sitting there and they're like, what do you see? And it's just like, you don't want to know. You know, like, I mean, it's just the, uh, I, I love that. And there, there are a lot of fun broken things of, you know, you run into a drow that drops darkness on you and it doesn't change a damn thing for you. You know, it, it may never come up that you have to see through magical darkness, but the ability to see perfectly fine in a cave farther than everybody else. Like, I just love, I love that aspect. I, I love the flair. I love the fluff. There are talks about in the UA that you can take a, uh, a invocation as a feat. Um, so I think it is one of the UA things coming up, hopefully with Tasha's is, uh, it's like a, uh, invocation adept, you know, and, and, and you can choose one warlock thing that you qualify for and you pick it up as a feat. And I could see being a variant human with a first level feat. I would have a hard time not taking devil's sight. Now I don't need a torch anymore. Now I don't do that. What's the excuse behind it? You can tell a story, you know, you could had a guy that did your eyes or in, you know, prison or whatever, whether it's true or not, or. Your great grandfather could have loved a succubus, and guess what? That's in your bloodline now, or whatever. But I like, I like just taking some of those things out. It's like my good berry. It's like don't need to worry about food, don't have to worry about the darkness. We're good. What's next? Well, there you go. Um, I said the only thing I is like uh, agonizing blast because I was as I was reading through those and I really think it is it comes down to just not understanding or thinking about it like you said as a specialist. Um, so I I only chose agonizing blast. I'm like, all right, I'm going to lean on Nolan for this one and have him help me with this because I'm so lost. So I'm really glad that you've taken the time to really explain how you look at those because now I could probably go back and look at those a lot differently. I I will say agonizing blast is probably the best one. Yeah, so let's talk about Agonizing Blast just a little bit. Um, it's Like I said, it seems to me like it's pretty good. It is a cantrip. Uh, you get to add your Charisma modifier to the damage of your Eldritch Blast when you hit with it, of course. Um, and again, as a cantrip, it seems like, I mean, you can do this a lot, and it's just solid damage without blowing through your spell slots. Well, and again, if we take it from a standpoint of... I, I know a lot of people will look at like, oh, the Warlock's turn. Let me guess, Eldritch Blast. Well, you don't look at the fighter and say, what do you do? Well, I fire my bow twice and people don't roll their eyes. You know what I mean? Like it, it gets that, yeah, this is exactly what this is. Think of it as I'm shooting a cross, heavy crossbow. Take everything out of Eldritch Blast, take out all the magic and flavor it as a heavy crossbow. Is there any difference between it and a fighter other than, you know, you make a ranged attack with Eldritch Blast, just like a just like a crossbow on the hit uh it takes 1d force damage okay uh heavy crossbow takes 1d 10 piercing damage at fifth level you get two attacks same thing with a fighter 11th level you get three attacks same thing with a fighter seventh le 17th level you get four attacks same thing with a fighter so the fighter's doing 1d10 yeah. 1d10 plus their dexterity now you're taking agonizing blast which lets you do 1d10 plus your charisma you are an archer 
love it. Absolutely. Enjoy it. Shoot out the yeah. beams. It's each, each hit. And then go all in on it. Be it. Love it. I mean, my goodness. I would... I, I did a warlock sorcerer where I could quicken it because it's a uh, uh, because it's a cantrip. So you could cast it twice in a row. Guess what? I just action surged and did it twice in a row. There's no difference. Get off their back. Let them be a ranged sniper. Absolutely. And and again, I mean, I've I've watched you play warlock quite a bit, and you usually pair it with another class. Like I've seen you play a bard lock. I've seen you, you know, mix. I've seen you mix Warlock with other classes often. And, and, and Nolan multi-classes a lot, again, to play the character he wants to play because he doesn't feel like... And I think this is very true, and, and this is something we used to argue about. Um, it's hard to create the character that you want to create with one class. So by dual-classing or multi-classing, you're able to build the character that you're looking to create. And it took him a long time to convince me of this, but he has thoroughly done so. And I think watching you play a warlock or play this mixed hybrid of warlock that you tend to play has has really opened my eyes. I, I want to play warlock. I, I want to try it. I want to see what it's like because it seems like it's a lot of fun. Well, I think the biggest thing that I go into the mindset of that stuff is what is my character good at? You don't see Robin Hood go, you know, and say, well, I'm, you know, three levels of rogue. I'm two levels of ranger or whatever. You know, it's he's a marksman archer. How do I get there? And that's what I look for at all classes. What do I want to do? I want to be, this is me. I'm SEAL Team 6. I'm, I'm, I am the sniper. I am the medic. And I don't care, beg, borrow, cheat, steal, how to get there. I'm going to be the best healer for this team. And if that's one level of life cleric, and it's a couple levels of divine soul sorcerer or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to be the healer. You don't worry how I get there. Nobody's going to sit there and be like, well, what do you do for your profession? I heal things. Yeah, yeah, but how do you do it? Do you care? Do you right. care that I keep you alive? No. Okay, so then don't worry about my packs with devils and demons, and don't worry about what's in my blood or who my mother was. Don't you know? We don't ask those questions in the profession. I just want my doctor to be the best doctor. Right. You're one of the <laughs> highest greatest doctors in the world. Perfect. I don't care what you did to get there. You know, as long as it's real and it's on the up and up, and you do a good job. Cool. Thanks for keeping me alive. So that's how I look at that kind of stuff, and 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 I don't think it ever. You know, again, do your characters know what classes they are? Does a does a barbarian know that it's a barbarian and it's getting this rage feature? Well, I come from a long line of barbarians, and someday when I'm strong enough, I'm gonna rage harder. You know, it's no, it, right? I I smash things, and sometimes I'm angry. And this about is. It. It's interesting that you mentioned that because that's something you've been advocating quite a bit lately about, you know, no, they don't know that they're, you know, this class. Now, I would argue that a wizard would know they're a wizard because they're the ones who are going to walk around. I'm a wizard. That's what I do. Right. And, and, and they, st they are the doctor, right? Yeah. That, that they're, they're the doctor. But OK, so what kind of doctor are you that you know so much about this? Oh, well, I'm a dentist. Then why the hell are you talking to me about COVID? Shut up and worry about yeah. your teeth. You know, you got your doctor. Okay, you're an illusion mage. Cool. Well, this, you know, I, I really need a necromancer, you know, because we're dealing with some of this stuff here. Well, I know I read a little bit about it, but you're not an expert, you know, fuck off. So, uh, <laughs> I, and, and it is, it is way easier with martial characters um, or fighting styles with weapons. Again, a, a dagger expert or Again, what what are your specialties? Well, I'm going to focus on I will find traps and I will disable them. And how I get there, do you care if it's a bard that's doing it? Do you care if it's a rogue that's doing it? Do you care if it's a, a street urchin that is good with you? You know, you just want the door unlocked. And we don't ask like, well, what's your qualifications for this, sir? 
how many levels of rogue you're not qualified to do this like no i'm gonna get the door open don't worry about it so i think that's one of those things of when we looked at this thing here it's like okay i'll do ranged um i can work on ranged and i can work on skills you know so that way we don't have to worry about that and how i'm getting there is going to be a rogue blood hunter that's going to work with a crossbow and is that what you would essentially think of when i said ranch and skills maybe not but that's how i'm going to do it this time i'm going to cover that role in the party um and and that's you know how you get there is again i'll you know i'll tank i don't care if you're doing it as a cleric i don't care if you know okay cool i trust you to do your job absolutely well nolan we have gone so far over time today <laughs> all right which is great because it means apparently we needed to talk about this stuff which is good we like to rant i guess so <laughs> so <I like> <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. So with that being the case, um, obviously, it's, you know, if you guys want to reach out to us and contact us, or if you have a, a question or comment, or, or like to tell us, um, we're wrong, or you have a different idea of what you think is a better spell, please reach out to us, you can find us at 307 RPG at pretty much all the um, social medias. Again, Nolan and I are both working to set up our studio space. So we can start doing this live stream slash uh, um, youtube because we do want to start putting this out on different platforms which is going to be a lot of fun i i think we're probably getting a lot closer than we thought we were going to because well we've been locked away yes yes <laughs> um so that is going to be our show for this week again if you have any questions comments or concerns reach out to us at 307 rpg on any social media network you will find us there if you want to see some of the pictures of the curse of Strahd revamped box set check out on instagram at 307 rpg i will have a couple of them in the show notes as well but you can see some more in on the instagram feed so please be sure to check that out uh, other than that nolan do you have anything else i don't well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye.